Hi, all of you awesome scuba divers out there. Welcome to the Scuba Diving Magazine podcast, where I break down the latest scuba diving news and things that have piqued my interest over the previous week. Um, as I'm recording, it's still uh, sort of boot week, so uh, so there's still news and interesting things coming out of there. Uh, but this week on the podcast, a diver has been injured by a propeller strike in the Maldives. A report has found the oil company responsible of the death of four divers due to gross negligence, and a reef in the US has been named the largest in the world. So the first news story is news that a female scuba diver on a liverboard is reported to have lost the lower part of her leg after it came into contact with a boat propeller in the Maldives on the morning of the 20th of January. The 63-year-old United States tourist had been attempting to surface to the liverboard's diving dhoni, uh, which is like a, a smaller um yeah, the smaller boat, um, during a dive off the coast of Hulaharmale, the reclaimed island connected to Male's airport island. Quote, currently it is understood that a diver aboard the Maldives Aggressor 2 experienced an accident where their surface marker buoy became entangled in the Doni's propeller, leading to injuries, stated Aggressor Fleet. The diver has been taken to a hospital and is reported to be in a stable condition. A thorough investigation is underway by local authorities and our operations team, who will provide additional details on the incident once the investigation is concluded. So most diving in that area is on the wreck of the 80-meter-long cargo ship, the Victory, uh, lying at a maximum depth of about 35 meters. And as with most dive sites around the Maldives, uh, it's subject to quite strong currents. According to police, the propeller had severed the woman's leg from the knee down and members of the Maldives National Defence Force were reported to have carried out an unsuccessful search of the area for the remains of the limb. The woman was taken to Treetop Hospital on the island for treatment while the police continue to investigate the accident. So awful news and uh, and one of my uh, like biggest fears uh, as a, as a scuba diver is yeah boat propellers because they they are very very dangerous um to be around and by the sounds of it she um she she sent up a dsmb and it got tangled up in the propeller and it must have pulled her towards it um so yeah just if you are like sending up dsmbs or there's an smb in the water and the line and it does get snagged in anything, immediate reaction is just to let go of the spool. I don't care how fancy or expensive it was, uh, it's not worth like coming into contact with a propeller. So yeah, my immediate instance, as soon as something yeah grabs hold of my uh, my spool then um then yeah i'm i'm ditching that um and never attach it to your equipment or your person um no there's there's no chance i'm i'm clipping off a, a spool attached onto something uh, onto me um no it, it's always free so that i can get rid of it as soon as possible and whenever there's like a boat propeller anywhere near me i'm hyper hyper vigilant of where all of my limbs and all of my equipment is um just to keep it away from it as as far away as uh, as possible so uh, so that like anything like this can um uh, cannot happen so yeah do do be careful especially around boat propellers 
Next news story is quite a, uh, a long ongoing news story, and it's news concerning the uh, the horrifying deaths of four Trinidad scuba divers who were sucked into a pipeline. And um, now a detailed report by Trinidad and Tobago's Commission of Inquiry has conducted that state-owned oil company Perea or Pariah Fuel Trading was culpable of gross negligence and consequently criminal in its handling of the fatal incident. The report suggests that because Perea made little or no attempts to rescue the divers, the director of public prosecutions should consider bringing a corporate manslaughter charge against it, and it has also recommended the prosecution of two individuals, one of whose son died in the tragedy. Meanwhile, the widow of one of the divers has said that the bereaved families who have been struggling ever since the incident should be compensated for life based on the men's full pay. She has also called for the six-man board of directors of Pariah, which has refused to accept liability for the deaths to be removed. The fatal incident occurred on the 25th of February 2022, when five underwater welders were working in a bell at a depth of 18 metres in western Trinidad, where the island's big oil refinery is located. The divers were employed by service company Land and Marine Contracting Services, which had been contracted by Pariah to carry out routine maintenance on a 90-centimeter bore undersea oil pipeline that ran around 400 meters from the shore to a berth out at sea. But when they removed a plug from the pipeline, the air inside caused a very powerful vacuum strong enough that it sucked each of the five divers inside of that 90 centimetre pipe in a line, all alive and initially able to breathe inside air pockets inside of this tiny space. Some of the divers actually managed to survive for days trapped inside of this tiny pipe and only Christopher Boudram, the last man to go into the pipe, managed to get out alive after working his way back to the entrance and being rescued by relatives of the divers, uh, led by Kerbin's son Michael. Boudram told his rescuers that the other divers were still alive inside, though having sustained various injuries and awaiting rescue. Kerbin said that he had tried to enter the pipe but had been too constrained by the length of his umbilical air supply. He later claims that he and other volunteers had then been prevented from trying to effect their own rescue on the grounds that they were contravening health and safety protocols and that valuable time had therefore been lost. The COE report appeared to agree accusing Pryor of preventing a contractor from sending commercial divers to rescue the trapped men, of spending several hours wasting time searching for them in open water, of delays in deploying camera and failure to consult with the volunteer rescuers on site. Quote, Pariah made little or no attempt to rescue in that they failed to manage and coordinate the resources that were available, it says. The opportunity to rescue the men from the pipe was completely wasted by a degree of inertia that is difficult to comprehend. The report also found evidence to justify the individual prosecutions not only of Pariah, Terminal Operations Manager Colin Piper, but of LMCS Managing Director Kazim Ali Sr. for several alleged offences under Trinidad and Tobago's Occupational Safety and Health Act. Boudram told Trinidad and Tobago Newsday that Quote, Piper showed no signs of sincerity to the families. No one from Pariah has apologized to the families. In trying to forgive, I would not like him, referring to Ali Senior, to be prosecuted, but the company should 
be held fully responsible. Bujum says that he's still receiving counselling, finding it difficult to sleep, and no longer able to work as a diver. Quote, diving is my passion, but from the instant to now, I cannot bring myself to go to the sea. Sometimes I think it may have been easier for me and my family if I had just died. And that's an awful thing to um, uh, to like be in your mindset. Pariah claimed that it had been the monitoring the stricken Pariah originally claimed that it had been monitoring the stricken divers from the surface with its own rescue divers standing by and had contacted the Coast Guard as soon as the incident occurred, but the relatives had challenged this version of events, claiming that Pariah had not even sent remote cameras into the pipe until some 12 hours after the initial incident and that rescue divers had been unwilling to enter it until the time-consuming task of pumping out all of the contents had been completed. The report, which has now been presented to the House of Representatives by the Energy Minister and forwarded to the DPP includes 52 recommendations for further action along with reference to compensation for relatives. Quote, in situations where families have had their loved ones and breadwinners snatched away from them in circumstances such as these or any tragedy, real consideration needs to be taken to giving the Real consideration needs to be given to assisting the families in the immediate aftermath of the incident to help them with the financial burden that they have been cap- that they have been catapulted into. This does not have to involve any admission of liability, merely the recognition that the families of those who have died or have been seriously injured may need help. Though Pariah has continued to deny responsibility, lawyers for the families have indicated that they will be seeking compensation for their clients and, if refused, will bring high court actions against both Pariah and LMCS. A local MP, Rushton Parry, called the Trinidad and Tobago's Prime Minister Keith Rowley to remove the Pariah Fuel Trading Board following what he called the report's damning revelations and which he said exposed severe lapses in duty and glaring incompetence with within the board and senior executive management of Pariah. If the DPP decides to take action, the Trinidad and Tobago Police Service or another investigative body will be engaged to undertake a criminal prosecution. Uh, yeah, it's just a, an awful story. And um, especially when you, um, the, there was quite a good, I say a good, a, a well-represented um, video, which basically gave you graphics on on how and what happened. And it's just, just awful to uh, to be sucked into this this pipeline uh because they didn't depressurize it properly and um and yeah they, they were just stuck alive inside a pipeline and um whilst people would like faffed around um on the surface it's uh yeah awful awful story and um yeah we will see what happens uh, at the end of it for uh, for the company a deep-lying coral reef off the southeastern USA over an area of 10,000 square miles, which is about the size of Albania, to put it into context, has been declared the world's largest such habitat yet discovered. The reef lies on the Atlantic Ocean's Blake Plateau, a broad, flat topographical feature with a steep drop-off about 100 miles off of the Florida coast. 
It has been known about for some years now, uh, but not its full extent. They, they knew that there was reef down there, but no one's really mapped it properly. Uh, it is only now that it's been fully mapped and described in a study published this month as, yeah, the, the, the world's largest reef. Uh, the existence was originally reported in mid-2018 following an expedition uh, on which part of it was described off of um, South Carolina. At that time, it was projected to extend for at least 85 miles. And Casey Cardwell, who's the operations chief for uh, for NOAA Ocean Exploration, had this to say, uh, for years we thought that much of the Blake Plateau was sparsely inhabited, soft sediment, but after more than 10 years of systematic mapping and exploration, we have revealed one of the largest deep sea coral reef habitats found to date anywhere around the world. Past studies have highlighted some coral in the region, particularly closer to the coast and in shallower waters, but until we had a complete map of the region, we didn't know how extensive this habitat was, nor how many of these coral mounds were connected. The study involved multiple expeditions, including several on the NOAA research vessel, the Okeanos Explorer, and through the long-term deep search project. The scientists assembled bathymetric data from 31 multi-beam sonar mapping surveys to produce the almost complete seabed map of Blake Plateau using a standardized automated system to classify, delineate, and quantify seabed features, and imagery from 23 submersible dives was analyzed along with the mapping data. The research identified 83,908 individual coral mound peak features. The almost continuous coral mound area measured some 310 by 68 miles with a high density core area of 158 by 26 miles. Uh, just miles of, uh, of like pristine coral, uh, but very deep under the water. Large variations in the density, height, and pattern of uh, dis uh, distinct coral formations was revealed. The largest area is now known as Million Mounds, was primarily made of Desmophyllum pertusium, previously called Lophelia pertusa, uh, which is a stony coral, usually found between 200 and 1,000 meters deep in average water temperatures of about 4 degrees Celsius, uh, so it quite likes the, the colder, deeper waters, and its white coloring can make it appear unhealthy because we're used to seeing like bleached corals as being like a bad thing. But beyond the reach of the sun, they're so deep down, uh, deep sea corals don't rely on symbiotic algae. Um, so they, they don't bleach, they, they are just white and, and everything's fine. Deep cold water corals live by filter feeding biological particles and they provide shelter, food and nursery habitats for other invertebrates and fish. Populations of coral and other deep sea species are now being believed to uh, be related across geographically distinct areas through a process known as connectivity, which according to NOAA is, quote, important for predicting the impacts of human activities on coral communities and for developing solid plans for their protection. I remember a, a news story probably a few years ago now, I think it was Brazil, uh, I could be wrong, um, but somewhere in the Americas they were planning some some deep oil platform and uh, and drilling, but it was where there was this deep 
uh, coral reef. And yeah, there was like a lot of petitioning to um, to basically say, no, 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 you're not, you're not allowed to um, to drill here because you'll be destroying all of this. So. Um, I can't honestly remember how that ended up. It was one of those news stories where they kind of they tell you about it, but they they never really follow up with uh, with how it ended. Uh, I'll, I'll do some research and, and see how it, that ended. This week, as I mentioned, is uh, is Boot Week, which is a, a, a it's not specifically a diving show. It's more about uh, it's like boating and water sports in general. But they they do often have quite a lot of because. Uh, scuba specific stands and a lot of the european brands especially like to um like to release new things around here um i've noticed that maris has a new bcd out or a new version of the magellan bcd uh they've called it the magellan hd comes in three different colors uh so you get standard black there's a kind of it, they call it blue, and it's quite a uh, bright blue. Nah, not quite sky blue, but blue, blue, uh, and also a like uh, a teal kind of color. And it's a it's a wing style BCD similar to uh, to the regular Magellan. The first thing that I notice is that the the shoulder straps aren't quite as funky as the the regular Magellan. That they're, they're a bit more standard. Um, the the Magellan has the, these really like ergonomically shaped and contoured uh, minimal straps over your shoulders, but the uh, the Magellan HD seems to look pretty standardised. The picture actually has a um, a line cutter built into the uh, to the right hand shoulder strap. Uh, let me just double check if it actually comes with one. <clears throat> no, it's. Uh, it comes with a line cutter sleeve built into the right-hand shoulder strap, and then you can fit one of their um, titanium line cutters sold separately, uh, can be placed in the dedicated shoulder sleeve. Uh, so, I mean, hey, it's not the, not the end of the world, but it is nice that it does have that like built into it. Otherwise, it looks fairly similar. Uh, it's wing-style BCD, as, as I said, it's built like lightweight, um, but now we got the the HD. Uh, it just makes it a bit uh, a bit tougher, slightly bigger trim, uh, not trim weight pocket, uh, quick release weight pockets. Uh, an octopus keeper on the left hand side. Uh, on the right hand side, you seem to have a um, a, uh, a gauges uh, like bungee uh, with a knife grommet as well to keep it in place. Trim weight pockets on the back. Uh, oh, that's quite nice. They um, they they show the the bag that it comes in. A lot of BCDs just come in like big big plastic bags with uh, with grab handles at the top. Uh, but now it's more of a fabric mesh bag, uh, which is cool. It'll still protect the um, the BCD when it's in the dive center and and like transportation and all that. But it's it's a lot less um, just plastic bag uh, 180 newtons of lift that's pretty good uh, back buoyancy design ensures optimal control underwater featuring extra uh, xtra comfort cushioning customizable weight pockets uh, knife grommets and integrated trim weight pockets it offers enhanced practicality the bcd also includes a roll down pocket line cutter sleeve five stainless steel d-rings and comes in three colors black blue and aqua uh, choose reliability and versatility for your dyes with the magellan hd scuba bcd uh yeah smart uh, smart bcd um 
Does it have a, a weight for it? Facts. Weight, 3.25 kilos. That's okay. Uh, it's not ridiculous. Um, material, 420 Dernier Cordura. So it's fairly tough. Um, but I still wouldn't be like scraping against anything too sharp. Uh, monoplate. Uh, so this probably isn't foldable. Whereas the, uh, the Magellan... The regular version was really built to be like as lightweight and stripped down as possible, and yeah, you could fold it. Um, whereas this one seems to be just just a, a single piece, so it's a bit more rigid. Um, but looks like a, a smart smart BCD. Um, yeah, I was hoping to see a little more from the um, from the Apex RK4 fins. Um, if you didn't know, it was was it the Paris Dive Show? Um, earlier this year, they um, that they had some of their RK4 fins, the uh, the successor to the RK3, and I was hoping to see a little bit more from the, uh, the boot dive show, but I haven't seen anything yet. Uh, hopefully, I can see them at the Go Diving Show in uh, in March here in the UK. And um, yeah, they're a lot of people are calling them like Lamborghini fins because they've got that like front end like design from like a, a Merchilago or Aventador, whichever one it's, um, it is. And um, they've got new adjustable spring heels, which are pretty cool. It's like they have a, a dry suit, wet suit feature. So instead of having to like change the entire fin strap or whatever, uh, you, you just have this quick change system. Uh, that was one of the main downsides for the, the standard rk3 and the rk3 hd is that the spring heel strap that's kind of the length you can replace it and uh, and get another one but if it didn't quite fit you then yeah you'd have to go to the added expense of changing that um, that spring heel strap uh now it's got an adjustable um like buckle system which is kind of cool um and the um a lot of people are mentioning the um the the heel tab itself the thing that you grab hold of and um They've made this long, like I can only describe it as a knob. Unfortunately, that um, that sticks up from the, the from the heel strap. Grab hold of that and pull it on. So there's no loops that can get caught on things. A lot of people were annoyed at um, like the the Hollis uh, the bat fins. They had a big like arching loop, and some like techie divers saw it as as that like snag hazard, something that could get caught on things. Uh, if you notice on the Apex RK three. They have that arch that you can grab hold of, but it's filled in, so there's not actually a physical loop that can get caught on anything. The new version uh, just is like elongated and um, with like this bulbous end to it to grab hold of. Um, yeah, otherwise they they seem quite similar, just a more stylized version of the the RK3, kind of similar to that um, that Hollis F1 bat fin, just with a bit more like straight aggressive um detailing to it and uh, and yet yeah, they're they're a vented fin they claim uh, i saw in in one i forget where i saw where i read it now uh, they claim better performance uh, as they do with all like upgraded dive equipment um three colors i think i saw uh black gray and orange i can't remember if i saw white or not i may have seen white um but i don't think i saw yellow uh those are the um four or five colors that the uh, that apex rk3s come in uh but yeah rk4 um yeah hopefully being released early this year 
Other than that, looking at Ask Mark questions, uh, Warren1976 says, so I'm a new diver. Welcome. Um, don't have all of the equipment yet, but we'll, we'll be diving mostly in cold water, the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, is it just more practical for me to just get a dry suit cert uh, and forget about a five or seven mil wetsuit and BCD? Um, most divers here in the UK um, go straight to dry suit diving. Um, a lot of divers and uh, and dive centers they include it in their like foundational course, just dry suit from the get go. They're much more practical because they're, they're they're very flexible dry suits and they have more benefits for you over a uh, over a wetsuit. So yes, they are more expensive and yes, you do need training to be able to use a dry suit. However, once you get that out of the way, it's it's so much more worth it. One of the main things is that you're hopefully, <laughs> as long as your dry suit fits and and works correctly, uh, as soon as you get out after the dive, you're completely dry other than like your head and probably your hands. Uh, so like getting changed is so much more comfortable. Uh, you don't need a shower after a dive. Uh, you might smell like you need a shower, but you don't honestly need a, a, a complete shower after a dive in a dry suit. It's not quite James Bond where he comes out in a full tuxedo, but it's much more comfortable than having to peel yourself out of a wetsuit and then your body's wet and the wind kind of cuts through. So no, it is much more comfortable. Um, you have the added benefit of obviously a dry suit is more effective at keeping you warm in the water. It's a better insulator. You can control that insulation. Whereas a five mil will like always be a five mil. So it has a, a very specific temperature range for you. And the and the longer you wear it, the more it compresses. So that temperature range kind of decreases as the neoprene wears out. Whereas with a dry suit, you can dive it in like a freezing cold winter months with a thicker undersuit underneath it, but you can also wear it in the warmer summer months with a thinner undersuit underneath it. You get get it. You get better control over how warm it keeps you. Uh, it's also an additional uh, control of buoyancy. You can adjust your buoyancy using your dry suit instead of your BCD. That there's there's a lot more pros to a um, to a dry suit compared to a wetsuit uh, so yeah i usually recommend divers bypass it um and go straight to a, a dry suit if they are diving in, in colder water temperatures uh gmac 44 says hi mark thoroughly enjoy uh my question is an extension of your recent choosing a backplate and wing video and ask if you could present the pros and cons of side-mounted tanks, buoyancy trim, best tank positioning, and additional weighting, if any, whilst predominantly using a 7mm Neo dry suit uh, in most temperatures like twi- Oh, next sentence. Like twins, is there a means to breathe from both tanks rather than switching between tanks? I feel like I answered a similar question recently. Uh, I welcome your opinion. Uh, I'm between buying a twin back-mounted wing and backplate or side-mounted. Um, so, yeah, benefits. The main thing about side mounts, and, and I've mentioned this a few times before, is the, the flexibility. Because both in and out of the water, the cylinders are independent, so it's very easy to just grab one and do like move it around. And um, whereas with twins, they're literally bolted together, so they're one tough unit. Um, so 
If you're diving in like a seven mil neoprene dry suit as well, personally, I prefer twin sets in colder water just because there's less like clipping and moving things around. With side mount, it can be that like flexibility is good, but it's just so much easier just to throw a twin set on your back and just jump in the water. If I'm not diving in like really confined spaces, which I don't tend to do anymore at all, um, and I don't need that flexibility of moving the cylinders around in the water to fit through a smaller uh, like opening, then nah, just twin sets that are so much more simple. Um, but yeah, if you do want that flexibility, uh, then yeah, then side mount is the way to go it is a, it's a very flexible way of diving and uh, and just moving your kit around is there a way to breathe on both cylinders rather than switching between tanks not re- i mean yes you you could rig up some kind of um switching block and um or just like a y t block or something and um and that would work but that would involve like tethering the, uh, the the two first stages together, which isn't great. Um, it would limit your flexibility because you'd have to attach them. I don't know if I've ever seen a quick disconnect. I imagine it's out there where you can just fit like a quick disconnect fitting, um, but I'm not sure how that would affect the airflow. Uh, most like switching blocks are like full on, like regulator nine sixteenth like hoses to um, uh, so you'd have to screw them up before you um, uh, before you pressurize your regulators, um, yeah. Whereas you're just taking a second stage out and putting the next one in it is it's much easier just doing that. It's a bit of a hassle having to swap every so often to uh, to make sure the buoyancy of the cylinders matches, so you're not like lopsided, but hey no I, I don't think it's that much of an issue and i the, i imagine it exists i'm sure you could do it um but practically it would probably be a bit fiddly and it, it limits the uh, the flexibility because that's the best thing about side mount in that if you've got a bad back like i have from uh, from diving twins for so many years then you don't have to put on the BCD and the cylinders and your weights and everything on the surface waddle to uh, to the side of the water and giant stride. You can take one of your cylinders and then clip it off to a rope and lower it into the water. Leave it there. Go back, get the second one, and do like multiple journeys. Put your BCD on just the BCD. Jump into the water. And then attach the cylinders, so it is much more flexible. Uh, and on the other side, yeah, you, you you come back up to the surface. You can take off the cylinder, attach it onto something, um, and then exit the water without the cylinders, and then haul them back up when you're ready. So it is much more flexible that way. Um, but personally, I, I just prefer twins because it is just easier just to throw it on your back and uh, and just go for the dive. 
otherwise that's it for the podcast today because uh, I'm running out of time um, so yeah remember to uh, to check out the Go Diving show uh, if you're here in the UK uh, and you're free on I think it's the 2nd and the 3rd of March uh, we've got the NAEC Centre in uh, in Stonely Coventry and um, and yeah we're, we're going to have lots of the, uh, the big brands I'll be there I'll be recording so um, yeah I, I might see you there uh, otherwise head over to our website scubadivermag.com check out our magazine thank you for listening everybody and of course safe diving